I'm Jay. I'm the lead pastor here again. If you're new with us, uh, just wanna wanna say welcome. And uh, as we get into to the message today, you know, um, I mentioned earlier that that we're talking about uh, Easter. That we're getting into, you know, this week leading up to Easter. Today being Palm Sunday, and you know, this time um, is really a a time of celebration and a time of uh, internal examination in many ways. That's that's a lot of what Easter. Uh, is. It's, it's both of those things. It's celebration. It's internal examination. Uh, and you know, as, as we talked about last week, really the, the whole idea with this, with this series of, of Gone is that because of Jesus' work, because of what he did on the cross, because of his resurrection from the grave, he has removed everything that stood in the way between us and our Heavenly Father. Because he lives, those things are gone. Jesus came to remove the divide between us, his greatest creation, and, his, and, and God. The, the thing that, that divides us, there, there are so many things that, that divide us between him, but they can really all, all be boiled down to kind of one category, if you will, and, and that's what we're going to look at today. Last week, uh, we talked about how fear is gone. And in this time that we're living in and, and this season that we're in right now, uh, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of, uh, of unknown. Uh, but because Jesus is alive, as we talked about last week, we, we fall to our knees. We, we trust fall to our knees as, as the best place to start. Um, and and we, we give everything and we turn over control where it should be and where it always actually is to, to the Lord. And, and, and we ask the Holy Spirit to help us in our battle against fear. Because there's aspects of, of every single day now that we're all battling that idea. But because he lives, fear is gone. And, and he did that. Jesus did that. And there are other things, though, that, that build divides, if you will, between us and God. Um, other things that, may, maybe, maybe another way to look at it is there are things that, that we have in our life that in some ways keep the stone in place. They keep the stone over the grave because we forget we forget about the resurrection power that we have in Jesus because of what he did. We forget that that stone is gone and that those things that hold us back, those things that we struggle with, are gone because of the resurrection power of Jesus. And it really is a fundamental problem. It's a fundamental problem. It's, it's an infection that we can't avoid. None of us can avoid this, this infection that I'm talking about. And there's no quarantine that will help. There is no social distancing that will flatten the curve on it. And that really is the idea of sin. And I understand sin is an uncomfortable thing to talk about. I get it. But God created us to be with him. He created us to, to have a relationship with him. And everything was great until sin. Everything was great until sin entered into the picture. And as I mentioned, it is a difficult subject to talk about. But it's really one that we shouldn't shy away from. And so I'm not going to because sin raises difficult questions. It raises difficult questions in our life and, and it, it makes us a little bit uncomfortable because of this tug of war that we all have with, with ourselves, with our nature. Because evil, evil really seems to, to have infected the human, uh, the human nature and, and it's much worse than COVID-19. And so the first point is this, our sin separates us from God. I mentioned it a minute ago, but it, but it really is the first point. Our sin 
separates us from God. And so let me ask you this. How, how would you define sin? Think about that for a second. How would you define that word, sin? What about, what about your friends? How, how do you think other people might define that word? Well, let me give you the definition um, or a definition that works really well with this. And it's, and it's very simple. It's this, to miss the mark, to miss the mark. And so that begs the question, what mark? What mark? And, and who, who set that mark? Who set that bar? I wonder if you've ever heard of the seven deadly sins. There was a movie made about it years and years ago. Um, but the seven deadly sins are really an ancient list of seven core sins, if you will, that really seem to be common in all of mankind. And so let me ask you this. What do you think some of those might be? What do you think some of those sins might be that are, that are on that list? Just think about it. With the group that maybe you're sitting with right now, whether it's your family and uh, in, in your home, where you're at, watching this, if you're watching it with some other people, I'm going to give you 30 to 60 seconds, somewhere in there, while I go get my stool because I forgot to bring it over. Um, see if you can come up with what you think are the seven deadly sins. Ready? Go. You might be pretty close on a few of them. I wonder if somebody might get all of them. I don't know, but we'll see. And they're not necessarily specific things like don't eat at this place or don't cheer for that particular team. I think we all know what team um, they wear maize and blue. But that's, those aren't seven deadly sins. Those aren't in there. And so if somebody maybe has come up with them within your, within your little group that you're in, um, I'm going to tell you what they are. So here we go. Here are the seven deadly sins. They've been around for almost 2,000 years, and they are this. Rage, sloth, greed, envy, lust, pride, and gluttony. So let's talk about them for just a second. So rage, what are we talking about there? I think we all know rage, somebody getting uh, incredibly upset and, 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 and raging out. You know, you see things like school shootings over the last few years come from a place of, of rage in many ways. Sloth, sloth, I'll, I'll give you a great example of this. You got maybe, uh, maybe, you know, deadbeat dads that duck child support, things like that, fall into the category of sloth. Uh, greed, um, we, all, we all know what greed is. Uh, we're seeing that um, in, in some ways with some of the things happening now where people are, are taking advantage of the season that we're in and being awfully greedy uh, with things. Uh, envy, um, you know, jealousy uh, falls into that category of, of envy and all of the things that have to do with that. Uh, lust, lust is something that, is, uh, that I think all of us can relate to in some ways as well. I don't know if you know this, but since this whole coronavirus thing started happening, um, internet porn is, has spiked. It's on, it's on the rise. People have nothing better to do than to sit down and they give in to these sins and they give in to their nature in, in ways that are not healthy or helpful. Um, pride, it's all about me, right? Pride is, is something, it's, it's, pride is one of the things actually listed in Psalms. It talks about that God hates. Um, so that's definitely one of the seven deadly sins. Gluttony, um, you know, I, we've, we've talked before about, uh, you know, 
how Americans are, are overweight and some of the things um, that you see in, in that regard where people are just, you know, again, there's been some funny memes going around on Facebook about how when this is all over, uh, we're all going to come out of quarantine and we're, we're all going to, you know, have gained hundreds of pounds because we're just sitting around eating. But, you know, God loves us, but he hates sin and he can't be around it. Um, he is holy. He is set apart. And sin is really the original social distancing pandemic virus, if you think about it. Um, it brings up ethical questions of right and wrong. And so that also then begs the question of this. Where did this idea of right and wrong come from? Where did, where did that come from? This whole idea of what's right and what's wrong. You know, I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago. And, uh, and they subscribe to what I'm going to call the good person theology. And that's the next point in your, uh, in your notes. If you're there, it's the good person theology. And here's what I mean by that. Here's how I would define that. It would be something along these lines. As long as you're a good person, then it doesn't really matter what you believe. I had somebody say that to me. As long as you're a good person, they knew I was a pastor and, you know, we had started talking and stuff and it really wasn't the time to, uh, to push back on that particular one. Um, so I didn't really, quote, get into it with them right in that moment. But boy, it, it really made me think. And I wonder if maybe you've come across somebody or talked to somebody or maybe you fall into that category right now where you fall into that good person theology. That, you know, as long as you're a good person, that it doesn't really matter what you believe. Um, let me just say that there are some very real problems with that philosophy. Um, and I, I guess I would start with this. Define good person. Define good person. Because your version of good person is probably different than mine, is probably different than the person sitting next to you, is probably different than the person that you uh, FaceTimed with yesterday or whatever. Good person, there's a lot of gray area in that term, good person. You know, morality and ethics, they have to come from somewhere. And if there is no moral law giver, right, then are there really morals? Is there really a standard? If there's not something that exists outside of us that creates that, then, then what is the standard? Because your standard's probably different than mine. So what is this feeling of right and wrong that each of us have? So I want to go back to the beginning of the problem. And it started in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. And again, you're like, Jay, I thought this was Palm Sunday. It is. Stick with me. All right? Genesis chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, the Bible app, flip there to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to start at, at the beginning of where this problem came from. So let's read through this together here. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now the serpent here, obviously Lucifer, um, he was one of God's highest angels, and he was beautiful and, 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 and he still is beautiful and intelligent. And he ended up recruiting, before all this happens, he recruits a third of the angels to attempt a mutiny and then becomes Satan. And he and his demons have one goal, and that is to destroy God and to be God. And so you can see him manipulating right here. I'm sure the story is familiar to you, but I just want to kind of set the stage. 
that he is manipulating here. And he is manipulating the truth and he's telling half-truths. And so let's go with verse 6. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, he took some of it, or she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Okay, so they're living in perfection. They're living in the best place ever, right? Had nothing to worry about. Fruit and nakedness is all that was going on there, and they were just worshiping God, right? And they had one job. They had one thing that they had to do. There was one rule, right? And it was to not touch or eat from one tree. And you're like, come on. Really, you had, you had one thing that you had to do. It reminds me of this picture. I'm sure you've seen some things going like this across Facebook or something. You know, you had one job. You had one job to do. All this person had to do was paint two straight lines, and they couldn't even do that. Adam and Eve, they had one thing that they had to do. One thing. And they couldn't even get that right, and it messed it up for all of us. And so let's continue the story here. Verse 8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Okay, let's stop right there. Seriously, you're going to hide from God? Okay. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Verse 12, The man said, The woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So the blame game immediately begins, right? She made me do it. She made me do it. How many of us can think of a time when your kids did the exact same thing? I can think of a couple of times in the last like 12 hours, and I'm sure it's going to happen this afternoon as well. But at the same time, think, think this through. What about you? Because where do you think they learned it from? Where do you think they learned it from? So let me ask this question. Is it fair or unfair that... Adam and Eve eating a piece of fruit mess things up for all of us. Is that fair? Because you're like, well, I didn't do that. Um, They did, so how come that messed it up for everybody? Let me put it this way. Their sin was like a teaspoon of poison in all of humanity. It was a teaspoon of poison in all of humanity. And I want to give you a theological term. I'm going to get nerdy for just a second. And here's the theological term. It's this, federal headship federal headship. And this is why this is important, because it it helps for us to understand this. And so this term basically means one individual's actions representing a larger group. One individual's actions representing a a larger group. So sometimes uh, the president acts on behalf of all Americans, and he represents America to the entire world. So whether you voted for him or not, this isn't a political statement or any of that stuff, or whether you agree with the actions that he's taking or not. it doesn't really matter because he is acting and has been empowered to act on behalf of all Americans. And so that's, that's federal headship. He's, he's, he's a representative. His actions, though, have ramifications on everyone that he is representing um, simply because of his position as the federal head. So positive or negative, those ramifications everyone has to deal with. Look at Romans 5. 
verse 12, it says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So we've looked at Adam and Eve's role here, but I want to shift the focus a bit. I want to shift the focus a bit because you may be wondering again why we're spending so much time in Genesis right now and we're, we're approaching Easter and, and we're going to dig into it right now. So stick with me because I want to take a look at your role and mine. And so the next fill-in for you is that you participated. You participated. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, you and I participated in the mutiny. Whether you want to admit to it or not, or whether you realize it or not, this is what Jesus' resurrection has to do with all of this. This is exactly what it has to do with. Because it is a problem, sin is a problem that we can't do anything about, and it sticks to us like a smell that we just can't get rid of. It's just this stink that we can't get off of ourselves. And sin is really an assault on God's holiness, if you really think about it. We make all the wrong choices. We turn away from God at times. At its root, sin, it's really rebellion against God. That's really what it is. The whole concept of sin, though, is, is a stumbling block to a lot of people, which is why you get the good person theology, which is why you get the whole, well, I'm, I'm just a good person, and so, and, and so I'm, I'm a good person, so I guess it really doesn't matter what I believe because I'm just trying to be the best person that I can. And, and we think that, and we can go, well, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm better than this person. And we start playing the, the compare game. But compared to that person, I'm not nearly as bad as that person. I'm not nearly as bad as, as so-and-so. But when we think about it that way, um, that, that's the complete wrong way to think about it because that means we're not tuned into the holiness of God. That means that we're not really paying attention and understanding his holiness because God is perfect. God is perfect and he is holy. And the verse that we read makes it very, very clear that according to God's perfect holy standards, no one measures up. Hear that. No one measures up. We don't like to think of ourselves as basically good though, right? So, so let me give you a scenario. Let's say Let's say that you were able to um, sin. You were, you were able to sin once a day for the rest of your life or for your entire life. That would be a pretty good person. If you can, boy, I, I, only, I only sin once a day. That is, that is a pretty good person. I would say by most people's standards, I would take that. I would love to be able to reach that level of just one sin a day. Well, let's just do some math on that. Because if you live an average life, that means you'll have around 25,500 sins by the time it's all said and done. How good do you look now? How good of a person is that? And there are consequences of sin. And that's the next point, is there are consequences of sin. And we can't choose the consequences of our sin. Yet we, we think we can, but, but we really can't. Consequences are not, are not like a, a rifle or like a sniper where we can just pick the exact spot that we want to aim that. It's, it's like a shotgun blast because it just, it sprays and hits everything. You can't contain it. You think you can, but you really can't contain it. it. Contain it. It expands and it contaminates everything that it touches. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. 
consequences to sin, the wages of sin, the payment of sin, the payment for sin is death. Those are the consequences. Sin came in, separated us from God, and now we have to live with the consequences. So let's go back to the garden for just a quick second, and I want to show you something. Because in Genesis 3.23, very much the same thing happens. It says, so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. There were consequences. There were consequences to their sin. There were consequences then, and there are consequences now. But, go back two verses. Because God loves us, remember? God loves us and provides for us. And in Genesis 3.21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. And so here it is. He made a sacrifice. God made a sacrifice for Adam and Eve so that they could be clothed and taken care of even though they had to be removed from his presence because of their sin. He still provided. And the way of his provision was the very first sacrifice because he still loves them and he still loves you. And through Jesus, a way was made for you and for me. And so now I hope you're starting to see why we're talking about this today. And so let me ask you this question. What does your sin mean to you? What does your sin mean to you? This is a hard question to think about. But I really hope that, as I mentioned at the beginning, Easter is not only about celebration, but it's also about internal reflection. It's also about internal reflection. And so I want to ask you to do something for a second. Wherever you're at, whatever, wherever you're at with the people that you are, I know there may be some people chit-chatting and whispering and all of that stuff. I get that when you're in your home, those kinds of things happen. Let me just ask you for the next couple of minutes, if everybody could quiet, quiet down where you're at and bow your head. Bow your head and close your eyes and focus for just a minute and think through this question of what does your sin mean to you? I hope that you feel some weight there. I hope that you think about the areas of your life. Maybe it's in your thought life. Maybe it's in your outward actions where maybe you've pushed God out of your life. Or maybe you've never let him in to your life. And maybe you didn't realize the weight of your sin because it really only takes one sin to keep you separated from God. Just one. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know what that means? Gone. That's what that means. That means it's gone. Why is this the message that I chose for Palm Sunday? I'll tell you exactly why. Because this is the best news ever. This is the best news ever. Because it's, it's a cure that's worth celebrating to a problem that we can't do anything about. I have zero power to do anything about the infection of sin in my life. I have to rely on Jesus. And we celebrate that today because today is Palm Sunday. And today is the day that Jesus triumphantly rode 
into Jerusalem to do battle. It's almost like he was coming down the aisle, like you see in like wrestling, and you got the, the wrestler coming down the aisle to go to battle in the ring. Jesus rode in to go into battle today, and we celebrate that because in the next week, he got in the ring, and he fought, and he won. And he won by a landslide. It wasn't even close. He defeated it. And that's why we celebrate today. And having an understanding of our sin in our life should, I hope, give you a greater appreciation and understanding of what Jesus has really done for you and why we celebrate this week and why we dedicate a whole week to it and why we dedicate every single Sunday of the year to it. He won. So let me ask you this. Ask Jesus to forgive you. If you're feeling the weight of that right now, ask him to help you win that personal tug of war with sin. Because through the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, your sin and mine are gone. If you still have your head bowed, I I would just ask you to look up at me for just a second because I want you to see this. I want you to see the connection point. Because the connection point for the day is this. Because he lives, sin is gone. Because he lives, sin is gone. It's not because you, it's not because of anything that you can do. You, you can't earn it, you don't deserve it. But because he lives, sin is gone. Maybe you just realized that this morning and maybe you want to do something about it. I hope that that's the case. I hope that maybe you've joined us for the last few weeks and and you've heard me talk about putting your full faith and trust in Jesus and maybe you haven't made that, that leap yet. Maybe you haven't taken that opportunity to really sit in the chair of trust with the Lord and to put your full faith and trust in him. Because when it comes to eternity, all sins are deadly. All sins are deadly. There's not just seven. Seven deadly sins. Yeah, I guess they are, but as far as God is considered, all sins are deadly. According to James 2.10, he says, For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. He's guilty of breaking all of it. If you've broken any one of God's commands just once, just once from God's perspective, that's the only one that ultimately matters because it only took, only took one. You might as well have broken them all. So you need God's forgiveness and, and we need it more than we can imagine. And right now in this season that we're living through, I can't think of anything more encouraging than knowing that we have forgiveness and that we have an eternal home in heaven. Now, does that mean that we won't mess up? Am I saying that sin is gone and it means that no... We don't sin anymore? Uh, No. (laughs) Definitely not true. Definitely not true. I'm not going to get through the rest of this day without messing up. No doubt in my mind. Because I'm, I'm a person. And I sin. We all do. But here's what it means. It means that sin can't hold us down. It means that sin can't hold us back. Sin can't keep us separated from God because of what Jesus did. Sin can't stand in the way of what God wants to do 
with us and through us because Jesus is alive. We have made the decision to put it behind us because of the power of Jesus. We can put it down, walk away, and repent. Repent just means to turn away from. So I hope that maybe you'll take this moment to repent. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. See, God chose to remove our sins to infinite space. That's really what that means. He chooses not to look at it. As far as the east is from the west, try to wrap your head around that. Because when God forgives, he really forgives. Would you bow with me as we wrap up today with prayer? Father, I love you so much and I thank you, God, for your love. And I thank you for your forgiveness. And I thank you for the clarity of your word. And Lord, I just pray that if there's someone watching today that does not know for 100% sure that they're going to spend eternity with you. God, what a better day, what a better week to make that decision. Father, I pray that they would cry out to you and and put their full faith and trust in you. Lord, admitting that they're a sinner, admitting that, that they can't save themselves and asking you to save them. God, there's no special magic prayer that we have to say. It's just crying out to you as it says in Romans, Lord, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, Lord, I pray that right now people might call on your name and be saved. And Father, I pray that those of us that do know you as Savior, God, that the weight of our sin would really be something that that we think through and, and weigh through, if you will, during this time. God, that we can We can recommit to you and praise you and thank you for what you've done for us. God, we give you all the honor, glory, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. A few quick things before we dismiss today. Uh, If you want more information about um, getting to know Jesus as your personal Savior, there's a spot on our website. If you're watching on our website, you can just scroll down to the bottom. It, It says Next Steps. Or if you're watching via YouTube or, or on, uh, on the app, on an Apple TV or Roku or something along those lines, or, or you're watching on uh, Facebook Live, possibly, you can go to our website at connectchurch.xyz next and find information there about how you can be 100% sure that you have an eternal home in heaven with Jesus. And if you do that, I would just ask you to, to let us know. Fill out the form that's there and let us know so we can celebrate with you. The Bible says that um, just one person that comes to know Jesus as Savior, that, that the angels throw a party in heaven for that one person. And boy, would we love to know that there's a party in heaven going on right now. Um, as, as was mentioned earlier, next week is drive-in church. Uh, 1045 is when it begins. 10 a.m. is when the lot opens. So please don't come any sooner than that. You cannot get out of your car, just so you know for absolute emergencies only. But drive-in church is happening uh, next Sunday right here on the property at 1045. If you can't make it, we will be live streaming the service. Just so you know, we will be online uh, live streaming no matter what. If it rains, we'll live stream and we'll let everybody know that, it, that it's raining and we maybe can't do the service and we'll push it back a week or something along those lines. We'll let you know. But uh, pray for the weather, if you will. Everybody that's there, if you pray for nothing else this week, pray, pray for the weather. Um, when it comes to, to the church. Um, so uh, my son Lincoln said that I have to tell everybody to please like and subscribe the video. 
by the way. So if you're watching, please like and subscribe. Um, so this Friday, though, is our, uh, our Good Friday communion service, 7 p.m. Be sure to, uh, to jump online and, and join us as we celebrate uh, and remember what Jesus did for us uh, with that communion service, 7 o'clock online. And then Easter Sunday, next Sunday, right here in our parking lot. Hope to see you there. Have a great, great week. Thanks for being here with us today.